dismissed to your classes. Romans chapter 16, please. Romans 16. We're going to finish the book of Romans this morning by the grace of God. Praise the Lord. Okay, Romans 16 and uh, verse 1 there. Paul concluding the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans. He says, chapter 16, verse 1, he says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centria, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. And then he begins to greet a, a very long list of, of people in the church in Rome here, and we will talk about them this morning. Over 20 different names are recorded here. Every one of them has a story behind the name. Father, we just thank you right now for your beautiful word today. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise. We pray your blessing be upon the reading of it and the preaching of it this morning. And everybody said amen. amen. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. <clears throat> now, we stopped last Sunday with verse 15 of chapter 15. We talked to you about the beloved of God, and then we talked about the Son of God. Now, Paul in verse 15 goes back to the beloved of God. And let me just give you an overview of verses 15 through 33 about what Paul is saying there. Then we're going to get into chapter 16 and deal with these individuals that were in the church of Rome, okay? Uh, just for a point of reference, look at verse 15, please, of chapter 15. He says, Nevertheless, brethren, you notice that he says, brethren. So we're back to the beloved of God again. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So Paul, in the last few verses of chapter 15, he's basically telling them his, his ministry purpose and what his personal plans are, okay? He talks to them that, first and foremost, as a minister of the gospel, that is like a priest. If you're a minister of the gospel, then you are a priest, okay? And that's for everybody. All people who are in the kingdom are ministers of God. Not everybody is in the five-fold ministry, but everybody who's in the kingdom of God are ministers, you are kings and priests unto God. So you are a minister. You are a priest. And what does a priest do? His primary purpose in the Old Testament was to offer a sacrifice. As a priest in the New Testament, we are the same. We minister. We offer sacrifices unto the Lord. So Paul is going to talk about his ministry first. Then he's going to talk about his pioneership or his apostleship. Then he will talk about, uh, from there, let me see where I am here, missionary journey, his purpose, okay, what his plans are. So as a minister of the gospel, 
he will present and has a desire to present to God an offering of what? Yes, the Gentiles. That there would be fruit among the Gentiles because he is apostle to the Gentiles and Rome is the chief Gentile area of the world in that day. Paul wants to, and his purpose, writing the book of Romans and wanting to go see them, is that he might offer a large Gentile group as a priest unto the Lord. He wants to offer them holy. Not just offer them, but offer them holy unto God. That these people that he has preached to uh, and is writing this letter to would, would be holy unto God. So he wants to bring into their memory the things that they've learned and teach them uh, the doctrines and, and give them an understanding of their faith. You see, it doesn't matter how intelligent you are, or how much brain power you got, you always have to be remembered of fundamental truths. Because if, you don't, or if you're not reminded uh, of fundamental truths, you will forget them. So it's the duty of the pastor and, and a man like <clears throat> Paul to always remind the church <clears throat> of what they believe and why they believe what they believe and explain to them and give them understanding about the faith because we all forget the fundamentals, the importance of holiness, the importance of the fundamentals. So they have to be reiterated. They have to be retaught. They have to be constantly gone over and over and over so that the people don't forget it. So his desire is that he can present to God a group of people who are very well trained in the things of the Lord. He had already said that they were full of all goodness. You remember that last week? They were full of all goodness. What does that mean? It means they had a moral uprightness about them. A moral uprightness. Say full of all goodness. Well, I thought that Paul said that in him dwells no good thing. But then he turns around and he says that in them dwells all full, uh, you know, they're full of goodness. Which is it? No good thing in us or full of goodness? Well, he's talking about, remember, when he says that in him dwells no good thing, he's talking about in his flesh, in the sin nature. doesn't mean there's no good at all, we don't, that we don't do any good. Or have any good. But that sin nature. There's no goodness in us. But this church is full of goodness. It, it has a, a vast amount of knowledge. That's what he said. They are full of biblical truth. The church in Rome. Full of all goodness. Moral uprightness. They have a knowledge of truth. They're full of knowledge. Of the word of God. And then he says... He says, I believe you're able to admonish one another. He says, I believe that you're able to encourage, to warn each other. Encourage each other, warn each other. Now that's interesting, isn't it? He said, they are, as brothers and sisters. They have a moral uprightness. They have a knowledge of the word of God. And as brothers and sisters, he said, I believe you have the ability to admonish each other. To encourage each other and also to warn each other. Okay? Now Paul in the book of Romans, unlike other letters that he wrote, he did not just come at it with a real strong rebuke on them, to them. But he did warn them about certain things not to get involved in. And, and, it, and of course, uh, 
exhorted them to take certain paths. You with me here? But what I'm trying to get you to understand is that as a child of God in the kingdom, you should be full of all goodness. You should be morally upright. You should be full of the knowledge of the word of the Lord. And you should be able to admonish one another. That means encourage each other and then warn each other. Hallelujah. Ooh, that's, that's heavy stuff, isn't it? So it's not just the pastor's responsibility <clears throat> to warn and encourage. <clears throat> it is your responsibility also to warn and to encourage. So Paul, again, he's bringing these things to their memory. He's teaching them doctrine, giving them understanding about what they believe. And he's, he's doing this so that he can present to God as a priest, as a minister, a holy group of people to God. That is his purpose. That's why he's doing what he's doing. And then he talks about his, his personal ministry. It is not based on human ego. Now, I'm not going to read all the verses. Just read it, okay? It's not based in human ego. It's based in the commission and call of God. He's doing what he's doing. He's writing this letter. He's an apostle. He's preaching. Writing this letter to these Romans and desiring to come and see them. Not because he wants, you know, to be admired personally. It's not about a personal thing with Paul. It's not about ego with Paul. It's not about pride with Paul. It's not <clears throat> so that he can be seen to people <clears throat> and build his name up. It's about a divine call and commission of God that is on that man. And he's going forth in the power of the Spirit with signs and miracles and wonders. And he's declaring the Word of God. Again, because it's a call of God. Do you understand that? And he shares that with the church here in this 15th chapter. I would say that today a lot of people are in pulpits because they want to build a name for themselves. You know, they want to be well known. They want to be famous. They want to, uh, people to know about them, you know. And they preach and they teach because of their pride or their ego. Well, that's the last thing we need in the pulpit. It's people who want to stand behind the pulpit just so they can be seen. What we need is somebody who is commissioned and called by God, anointed by the Spirit, with signs, miracles, and wonders, with the heart of a father, to stand up and declare the Word of God for the sake of God, that he might present to God, as a priest of God, a people for God. That is powerful. That's what it's all about. And you can see the fruit in this man's ministry as a result of that, the way that he comes to them. And then he talks about that he desires to go and see this group of people in the church in Rome. He has never been there personally to Rome, but he wants to go and see them. But he talks about as, a, as an apostle, he said, I don't have a desire to build upon another man's work. I, he said, I don't want to build on some other man's foundation. Okay, so as a minister, he's going to offer these people to God. But as an apostle, he said, I don't want to build on anybody's foundation. I don't want to build on the labors of another man. Why? Because he is an apostle, and as an apostle, he's a pioneer. Which means this, that he's the one who lays the foundation himself. His call is not to build upon somebody else's work. 
His primary call is to be the layer of the foundation, the starter of the work. There's nothing wrong with building on another man's foundation. That's biblical. The Bible says one plants, another waters, but God gives the increase. So Paul is not saying it's wrong to build on another man's foundation. That's You have to build on somebody else's foundation. The kingdom of God is built on uh, the work of people. You understand? But Paul's primary call was an apostle. An apostle starts churches. He went from city to city to city. And he started churches in those cities. It wasn't his call to go and preach you know, in a church and build on somebody else's foundation. His call was to build the foundation, to find the place where God wanted a church established and go there where the gospel had never been preached before. So in his apostle, he said, I haven't built another man's foundation. Doesn't mean that that's wrong. That's his call. Do you understand? Now his ultimate, having said that, his ultimate, and you'll read this in chapter 15, these verses I'm talking about. His ultimate desire is that he could go all the way to Spain. That, and as he's passing through Rome, he can visit with them where the church is already going strong. Not so he can start a church there. The church is already there. But so as he passes through Rome, then he can get some help from them. They can help him on his way <clears throat> to go to Spain. And Spain is the uttermost western part of the earth. He wants to go to the farthest western part of the earth all the way to Spain. That is his desire, okay? The biblical name for Spain is Tarshish. He wants to go all the way to Tarshish. He wants to go all the way to Spain. Now, the Bible doesn't tell me if he ever made it to Spain. But some in history believe that he did make it all the way to Spain. But that was his goal, was to go all the way to Spain <coughs> where the gospel had never been preached before. And as he's passing through Rome, you know, he could spend a little time with them and he could get a little help from them uh, for that journey to Spain to preach the gospel there. And that is his call. That is, I mean, that, let, me, let me rephrase that. It's not necessarily his call. That's his plans. You understand? As a minister and as an apostle and as a missionary... A missionary heart wanting to go to the farthest region of the world, which was Spain. That's his heart. That's his plans. He hasn't been to Rome yet, and he hasn't gone to Spain. He's sharing with them his plans. But watch this. He said, but we have been hindered <clears throat> from doing what we wanted to do. Did y'all read these verses? He said, we have been hindered from doing what we wanted to do. And the word hinder literally means, in military terms, it was a trench that was dug, a very wide and deep trench that stopped the military troops from crossing over. And he said, we wanted to go. We wanted to do these things. We wanted to go see you in Rome. We wanted to go to Spain from there. But we have been hindered. There's been a big old ditch in the road that has kept us from going to you, even though we desire to go there. A big block. Do you understand? Do you see what's going on here? No, 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 no. No, Paul, it wasn't the enemy. Paul wanted to do these things, 
But he said there was something that was hindering him. What is the hindrance? He explains to them he's got to fulfill the will of God. The will of God is a hindrance to his plans. You get this? Read it. The, the will of God for him in his life is a hindrance, is the hindrance that's keeping him from going to Rome and then to Spain because God uh, wants him to do other things. Now think about that. This great apostle had a plan, had a desire to go to Rome and then to Spain, but the will of the Lord was stopping him at that point from going there. Now think about that. That means to me that this great apostle, as great as he was, did not totally understand what God was doing in his life. Do you get that? He didn't totally understand what was, he had plans, he had desires, but the Lord's will stopped him from fulfilling his plans. And again, his plans is to preach the gospel, to go to Rome and then to Spain. But he can't go because God's got something else for him to do. So even this apostle doesn't understand all the ways of God in his life and God's all the plans of God, all that God wants him to do. He doesn't totally understand that, but he plans plans. But he always submitted his plans to the will of God. The will of God was more important to Paul than his personal plans, even though his personal plans was to preach the gospel to Spain. So what am I saying? It, it's not telling us that we can't plan plans. I, you know, it's not saying that I can't as a pastor plan plans. Or as a church we plan plans. But the will of God always supersedes our plans. And it also tells me that I don't always know exactly why God does what he does. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? God can work in circumstances. He works, I'm talking about not just, you know, good circumstances. I'm talking about even circumstances that would look to you as a hindrance from doing something you want to do in the kingdom of God. But there's a roadblock that comes up. There's a ditch that's dug. There's a hindrance that is there. And that hindrance, that roadblock is God. So that even Paul made a statement one time. He said, the Lord, uh, uh, well, Satan thwarted or, or stopped him from doing something in the kingdom of God. Now, let me explain to you that. What God did was then use Satan to, to hinder or thwart Paul's plans. Not in Romans. It's not in Romans. You have to pick this up somewhere else. But. God used Satan to, to uh, thwart the plans of Paul because God wanted Paul to do something else. You understand what I'm trying to show you here? That God is so in control, he can, he can put a, a ditch in the road. And he can put a circumstance. He could put a problem. He could put situations in your life. And you've got plans and you want to serve the Lord, you know. And your heart's dedicated to God. And you're, you know what I'm saying, your head is sanctified to heaven. But sometimes God says, no, that's not what I want you to do. 
So he'll work with circumstances and he'll work with people, even sometimes not good situations, to get you where he wants you to be. And you will find yourself in certain cities, in certain locations, in certain situations. And you got there by a negative experience in your life. And you're sitting there saying, boy, it sure was painful. I don't even know why I'm here. I went through a lot, but here I am, you know. And what you need to understand, if you're a child of God, that he is in so much control of your life. That he can even take negative things and circumstances and the, the way people treat you, their attitudes and everything everything and cause you to get back in his wheel now that is powerful because you have a plan and I have a plan I'm just I'm going to do this I'm going to go over here I'm going to do that and all of a sudden you get over there and you're miserable you can't stand where you are and you don't understand you know it, it's, it's about God too and, and you know I want to do the will of the Lord but why do I feel like I feel that I got to get somewhere else it's because God has got a plan for your life and he will use good things and he'll use bad things he'll use hard things he'll use circumstances he'll use people to get you back in the will of God he'll use disappointment to accomplish divine appointment if you could just trust God so as I read the end of this chapter 15 I'm amazed that even Paul who planned plans to go to Spain he said that the will of God hindered me I've got he's Paul says God's got some other work for me to do and specifically I'm going to have to take this offering that I have been collecting in Macedonia, which is the heart of Greece, you know, <clears throat> in the heart of Greece, Berea, Thessalonica, Philippians, Athens, Achaia, uh, and on and on, those primary cities of Greece, Macedonia, he calls it. He says, I'm going to go with that offering that I have received from Macedonia, Greece, those cities, some of those cities I just mentioned. Primarily, that is Galatian territory. He said, I'm going to take the offering that the Galatian territory has given to the church in Jerusalem. So that before I can go to Rome, says Paul, come on, and before I can go to Spain, ultimately, God's got something else for me to do. He wants me to take an offering to the church in Jerusalem, to a bunch of poor saints in Jerusalem that I have collected from the Gentile churches in the Galatian area or Macedonia or the heart of the Greek culture. He said, I'm going to take a, a Gentile offering to a Jewish church. And hopefully when I do that, it'll bring the Gentile church and the Jewish church together. And this middle wall of partition that God has broken down, this fellowship will take place as the Gentiles show their love for the Jerusalem church. And the Jerusalem church receives that, that fellowship, that koinonia, that contribution that Paul has taken up there in, in, in the church in Jerusalem. Now that Fellowship can be strengthened between the Jews and the Gentiles. So Paul says, that's what I've got to do before I can ever go to Rome. Before I can ever go to Spain, I've got to do this first. And that's going to take him hundreds of miles. He wrote this letter from Corinth. It's going to take him hundreds of miles away from Rome to go back to Jerusalem to take that offering. Okay. I said a lot. Does that help you? Do you understand? 
<clears throat> even good things, even plans that you make for the kingdom of God. God said, no, that's not what I want you to do right now. That's not your will. I'm going to hinder you. I'm going to put a ditch in the road. He might even use Satan to stop you from doing what you're planning to do in the kingdom of God. Why? Because I got something else for you to do. So Paul knew that once he got that finished, he got that offering uh, delivered to the Jerusalem church, then he could be free to go to Rome. And we do know that Paul went to Rome. He made it to Rome, but he didn't go the way he planned. He went like this in chains. He went as a prisoner. Do you understand? So that even God used chains to fulfill his will. He went to Rome. He was there for a little while. He was released. Then he went back to Rome and he was executed later in Rome. Okay, you with me here? So Paul did go to Rome like he wanted to go, but it wasn't the way he wanted to go. He went as a prisoner. God uses all these things. You know, we look at our life, oh boy, it just, it just all falling apart, you know. And all these circumstances and all these people, all this stuff, you know. And, and you know what? If we would just take it to God and pray about it. It could be that God is trying to get you in His will. But, but pastor, it's not a bad thing I'm trying to accomplish. It's, it's God. You know, God. Is it God? Or is it a plan you plan? So we, we need to thank God sometimes for difficult situations and problems that come our way. Because they are able to relocate us. They are able to reposition us. You know what? It might be God's will you get fired. <laughs> it might be the will of God for you to starve where you're working. Really? Yeah. So he can open a door for you to be blessed. So you'll make a move so he can relocate you or reposition you. For a blessing, you got to trust God. You can't suck your thumb. We all do that. We all cry. Oh, God, why this hard stuff happening to me? You know, God, you know, I want to do your will. I want to go here. God said, no. And then we all cry. Oh, why, God? Why is he allowing this? Are you allowing this to happen to me? Poor little me, you know. Hey, God's kingdom and his will is the most important thing. And what he wants to do with your life, his purpose for your life, we need to learn to submit to him. Because we won't plan it our way and then pray and ask God's approval on it. And it's okay to plan, but if God says no to the plan, then we change the plan. Do you understand? So that even this great apostle did not totally understand what God was doing in his life. And that helps me. You know, and as a church, sometimes we think we're supposed to know everything, you know. We're supposed to know the next step, you know. If our pastor really hear from God, he got, you know, he'd know everything he's supposed to do. He's not going to miss anything. Are you, are you funny? <laughs> no, we're planning plans. We're praying. We hope, we believe it's the will of the Lord. But if it's not, we got to change the plans. Because ultimately, the will of God's got to be done. So Paul's planning, but it's not in the will of God at this point. Got other things to do before that. Then he can, he can be free to go to Rome as a prisoner. <laughs> and whether or not he ever made it to Spain, I don't know. History, some history historians say he did. But anyway, that's interesting to me. Praise God. <clears throat> yeah. 
And he talks about the way he came to them. He came in power, signs, miracles, and wonders. It's just his ministry was awesome. He, he wasn't self-motivated. His desire was to preach the gospel, that there would be an offering for God from him of the Gentiles. Okay, y'all with me here? <clears throat> Look at verse 29, chapter 15. And I'm sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Watch verse 28, where when therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. That's his plans. He said, I got to take that offering to Jerusalem, and then I'm going to go through Rome all the way to Spain. That's my plans. All right. And I'm sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. The fullness. Are you here? There are, again, there are different levels of anointing. When he comes, he said, I'm not coming with a half wagon load. He said, I'm coming with a full wagon. Which means that he is in a place himself that he can minister to the people on that level. If he's not in that place himself, he can't minister to them on, on the level of fullness. But he says, I believe that when I do come, he says, it's going to be in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Okay. Verse 30, now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. He said, okay, he's a minister, he's an apostle, he's a missionary, this is his plans, God's hindering him from doing it at this point, he's got to fulfill a certain thing, go to Jerusalem with the offering, then he feels he can be free to go to Spain, but then he asked the church to strive with him in prayer. For him. Now listen to me. This is a time in the word of God. That strife is good. Or striving is good. Excuse me. Striving is good. Look at your neighbor and say. There's a time when striving is good. Strive with me. In prayer for me. He's literally telling them. You're going to have to agonize. You're going to have to go to war. I want you to go to war with me. I want you to agonize with me in prayer for me. That's powerful, isn't it? He's showing them how powerful prayer is. Can I tell you the reason why the church is so anemic, so weak and sick? Because it's prayerless. Because people don't want to strive. They don't want to agonize. They don't want to intercede. Now, it's important that we do that. It's important that you pray, that you agonize with me in prayer. It's important that you pray with me. We strive together in prayer. You know, and what I love about Paul is he looked at them and he said, brethren. Nevertheless, brethren. He doesn't look down on them. He recognizes that they're full of goodness. He recognizes their knowledge in, in the word of the Lord. He recognizes their ability to admonish each other. He's sharing with them his burden, his plan, his desire. Do you understand? But then he says, I need your help. I need you to pray. I need not just pray. Lord, help Paul. <laughs> you understand? First, third, now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me. In your prayers to God for me. Not just say, again, help Paul. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They are interceding 
They are in anguish. They are striving. They're like they're in birth for this man. Do you understand? And that's the Paul, what Paul is saying. Not just a simple little prayer, but a heavy intercessory prayer. You know, if we prayed like that as a church, we would see powerful things. Hallelujah. Yes, we would. Now, I'm not going to jump on you, but we do good to even make it to church. Much less make it to the prayer room before church. Striving together with me. With me. You hear what he was saying here? That you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. That I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. He's talking about the unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Judaizers that is in Jerusalem. With me? That he might be what? Delivered from them. The unbelievers. You know what the word unbelief means there? It means the obstinate. It means people who refuse to believe. It doesn't matter what you tell them. doesn't matter what you preach to them. doesn't matter what they see. They just simply refuse to believe. They are obstinate. They are antagonistic to the gospel. Okay? See, it's one thing to hear the word and then not understand the word. It's another thing to hear the word of God and know what's right and know the truth and then just totally... Totally reject it. And that's what he's talking about. People who are going to be obstinate to the truth. They are going to be unbelievers. They just simply refuse to believe what is preached to them. So he said that he's asking them to pray that he would be delivered from them. That do not believe in Judea. And that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted by the saints. When I bring that offering, they'll accept it. Amen. Two things. For deliverance from unbelievers <clears throat> and then the acceptance <clears throat> of the offering. Verse 32, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God. See, I've got plans, but my plans become secondary to the will of God. And may with you be refreshed. Hallelujah. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And so he completes that letter. And then he closes it out with a list of names of the church in Rome. That's our focus this morning. <clears throat> I just had to give you all that foundational teaching there of these 15 verses. But 16 is our focus. Because I believe that it's going to bless your life. It's going to change your life. Really. Because behind every name, there is a story. Right? And then Paul, in concluding his letter to the Romans... He says, I commend unto you Phoebe. Phoebe is the one who is delivering this letter to the Romans. She is going to leave. It says she's from Centria. That means she's from Corinth. A coast in Corinth, okay? In Asia Minor. She's going to travel from Asia Minor, a coast in Asia Minor, Corinth. She is going to go into... Well, let me back up just a minute. I'm not sure about the location in Asia Minor. But anyway, I am sure that she's in Corinth. She's going to go from there and she's going to hand deliver this letter. Okay, and I have to say that because I, I'm, I'm not clear on, on that because I didn't prepare for that. But let me just tell you, she's going from Corinth. She is a woman. The dangers of travel in that day 
There is no copy of the book of Romans. Do you understand? He doesn't give her a copy of this letter as far as I know and say, you take the copy. He is giving her the original letter, the letter from the Apostle Paul. A woman, not a man. A woman is going to travel with this letter to the Romans. Can you imagine what is at stake here? For her as a woman to take the letter, the inspired word of God, the book of Romans, the letter of Romans to the Roman church there, as a woman, the responsibility that she is going to be faced with to travel by sea and by land and to make sure that that letter gets there. Evidently, she was very highly respected. That you could put this in her hands and give her this charge, this work, and be almost assured that it would get there. They've got confidence in this woman, okay? Her name is Phoebe. She's going to leave from Corinth where the letter is written by Paul from there. And Paul says, I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister. <clears throat> Number one, he says about Phoebe. She says, he says to them, she is our sister. She's a sister in the Lord. Okay? She's a part of the family of God. And then he says, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centria. That's in the Corinthian area. Okay? You with me? The letter's been written in Corinth. She's going to deliver it from Corinth to Rome. She is a sister in the Lord, and she is a servant of the church, which is in Centria. That word servant is the word that you get deacon from. Do you hear what I'm saying? She is called a servant. She is a deaconess. All right? Deacon, you with me? That is a high level of office in the church. Now, servants were called deacons. And you could be a servant and still be called a deacon and not hold the office of a deacon. Right? But it's very interesting to me that she is called by the same word that means deacon. If that is the case... And she did hold the office of a deacon in the church. And I'm not saying that's, that's the case here. I'm saying that I know she was a servant, a deacon. But what degree was she and placed as a woman in an official office in the church? The Bible doesn't tell me one way or the other. But if she was a deaconess in the church, then we have Bible foundation that tells us that a woman can be a deacon in the church okay and this is so heavily debated in churches even apostolic churches whether or not a woman can hold an office in the church okay this is one place in the bible that i know of that it is a possibility that this woman this sister in the lord was a deaconess in the church it could be simply that she was just a servant. But are you with me here? She is called a deacon, deaconess of the church, which is at Centria, that you receive her in the Lord. 
receive her in the Lord as becometh saints. I don't know why they wouldn't. <laughs> you know, and maybe, yeah, right, unless she's a woman, you know, and here she is bringing this very, very important document, letter from the Apostle Paul to them, and she's a woman. I don't know. Maybe that's why he says receiver. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how, how that this would be looked at. But anyway, I don't have to explain it because the Word of God is enough. But she says that you receive her in the Lord as become a saint and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. You accommodate her. Whatever she needs. She needs food. She needs uh, whatever. She needs a place to stay. And the word here assist is practical. The Greek word means to be practical, to assist. Whatever practical needs she has need of, you make sure those needs are met. She needs a place to stay, give her a place to stay. She needs food, give her food. She needs uh, expense money, give that to her. Whatever she needs, she needs clothes, give her clothes. Whatever she needs, you make sure that she is taken care of practically. Are you here? For she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. What an awesome woman of God she was. And of over 20 names, either 24 or 26 names that are listed here, there are women constantly repeated. Okay? Six, seven women, I believe. You'd have to count them. God through Paul, is showing you the importance of the church, women in the church. This, is so, this woman is so important in the church that she's got the responsibility to take a letter to Rome from the Apostle Paul. Travel through sea and through land, through treachery and danger. She is appointed. She's a sister. She's a deaconess, servant. And she is, as the Bible says here, a sucker of many and of myself also. A great woman in the church. Are you here today? Verse 3. Then he talks about some others. Okay, so Phoebe is going to take the letter. Greet Priscilla. Hey, we got a Priscilla in our church. Somewhere. Probably with babies. Greet Priscilla. And Aquila, my helpers in Christ. <clears throat> Priscilla and Aquila, or Aquila, some people would pronounce it. It's Priscilla and Aquila. Now, who are these helpers in Christ? Paul says, they are my helpers in Christ. They are never called apostles. They are never called prophets. They are never called pastors. They are never called teachers. You understand? They are never called evangelists. As far as a title goes. But he simply calls them helpers. His helpers in Christ. Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla's a woman. Normally you mention the man first. Normally you would say Aquila and Priscilla. But she's mentioned Priscilla and Aquila. And of the six times they're mentioned in the Bible. Four of those times she is mentioned first. How is it that a woman is mentioned first 
is, it is as if she is the primary or the, the chief player, if you will, of the two. Priscilla and Aquila. All right, you with me here? And they were helpers of the Apostle Paul. In AD 52, a man by the name of Claudius, the emperor of Rome, banished Jews from Rome, kicked them out of Rome in AD 52. So Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila left Rome and they went to where? Corinth. All right? In Corinth. That's where Paul is. Corinth. They went from there to Ephesus. Are you here? And then from Ephesus back to Rome. So when you find them here, they've made some travel. They've, they've been banished from Rome. They went to Corinth and to Ephesus, then back to Rome, where they are right now. And then they will eventually end up back in Ephesus. Read Acts 18, and you'll get some of this information. The book of Acts is going to give you a lot of this information that I'm talking about right here. Okay? So they were movers. All right? Did you hear what I just told you? The Bible tells me that Paul says that they are his helpers in Christ Jesus. They're in Corinth at this time. With, um, they're in Rome, excuse me, at this time. When Paul is in Corinth, they're in Rome here in this text. Do you get that? Okay. Banished from Rome. Went to Corinth, then to Ephesus, then to Rome. Back to Rome after Claudius died, after the banishment was lifted. Back to Rome, that's where they are. And then, then finally to Ephesus. Okay, but this Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ, they were awesome in the church. They were awesome helpers of the Apostle Paul. Again, they're not called uh, fellow apostles or pastors. They're called helpers. They were tent makers like Paul. I say tent makers. They were talit makers like Paul. All right. These two in Acts 18 are the ones who ministered to a, a man who had part of the truth named Apollos. Read Acts 18. You'll get some of this information. Powerful. Priscilla and Aquila. Or Priscilla and Aquila. Not Aquila and Priscilla. Priscilla and Aquila. So that means that number one, she, is, she plays the major role, the major part. Or it could be that she is from a higher standing socially, family-wise. Her background. Now watch this. Could be. you got to study it. Hallelujah. Watch this. <clears throat> there is a group of people in history. Now you can study this for yourself if you want to. You get, get you a good commentary on the book of Romans and you'll find out this history. J.B. Lightfoot's good. Uh, Barclay is good on these, this historical background here Because a lot of this is history It's not what I shared with you about Priscilla and Aquila The way they moved That's in the Bible And Phoebe delivering the letter That's in the Bible But this, this that I'm about to share with you This historical background This story behind these people Is not in the Bible It's history Okay Now Priscilla and Aquila Evidently watch this Priscilla there was a, a family in Rome that was a royal family. A royal family, all right? Now, let me give you the name of this family. 
It is it's spelled A-C-L-L-I-A-N, the Acelian family, all right? This family was a very, very famous family, and there was a man by the name of Galbor, Galbor uh, in AD 91, who was the consul of Rome. He was the Roman consul. That's the highest office that you could give it to an individual, this man, okay? And uh, so this, this Acilian family with this consul of Rome named Galbro, uh, he was, as I said, the, let me get this, the consul of Rome, highest office that he could receive. This particular family, this royal family, this Acilian family, the names of the women of that family, the primary name that was given to this royal family, the women in the royal family, was Prisca or Priscilla. They call Priscilla Prisca, P-R-I-S-C-A, Prisca. And in Rome today, there is a cemetery that is completely dedicated to the Acilian family, the royal family. Okay? And it it's, has the name of Priscilla on that cemetery. It is called the Priscilla Cemetery. And that is this ro- where this royal family was buried. So it is believed that Prisca or Priscilla was number one, she was either a family member born into that royal family, that would then make her a Gentile, okay? Or she was a Jewish woman who was a slave in that family. Because the women in that royal family were called by the name Prisca or Priscilla. And so it could be, that's why she's mentioned first, and then Aquila, her husband... Because of her standing. She's from a royal family. A royal heritage being born to that Asilian family. You with me here? Or she was a slave. Her and, and Aquila were slaves and they were free. But the point is, is it that wouldn't that be interesting that you have in this Prisca and Aquila, you have possibly a woman who's a Gentile who's got royalty in her veins somehow meets this Jewish talit maker and all the barriers come down, all the walls come down. The gospel brings all the walls down. Status, the walls of social realms, the walls of gender, the walls of nationality. The gospel brings all that down and this royal woman Prisca or Priscilla meets this Jewish talit maker and they get married. And they become the helpers of the Apostle Paul. Or maybe they were just freed by this royal family. Come on. And by the way, this, gal, uh, this man I told you uh, was the consul of, of Roman 91. His name is Galbro. Uh, uh, gal, this man, 8091, he was a Christian. So evidently, if she was born to this family... Or whether she was a slave in this family and met this Jewish tent maker. uh, It really doesn't make a lot of difference. She had an influence on a Roman consul. And this man was a Christian. So royalty was affected by the truth. 
Royalty was affected by the gospel. Roman consuls were Christians and, and Prisca possibly a princess in a sense. In a royal family. Meeting up with a Talit Jew maker. And they get together and they become powerful helpers in the kingdom of God to the apostle Paul. God had it all under control when they got banished in AD 52. He had it all under control. When they went from there to Corinth, and then from Corinth to, to Ephesus, and then from Ephesus to Rome, and then from Rome back to... God was in charge of everything that was going on. They probably looked at it as something horrific and something horrible. God said, no, I've got a plan in everything I'm doing here. Are you awake? So he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. If you read the book of Acts, you're very familiar with these two. Helpers, helpers. <clears throat> Verse 4, who for my life laid down their own necks. They, they loved the gospel. They loved Jesus Christ. And they loved the apostle Paul so much that they laid down their own life for him. Evidently, there were times when Paul's life was in jeopardy. And somehow, Paul doesn't explain or tell us what they did to, to jeopardize their own life or risk their own necks for him. But they did something to save Paul from death or the potential of death now that's love right there when you got somebody in a church that that loves God so much that they're willing to lay down their lives and uh, for the apostle Paul you know what we got to keep Paul going we got to keep him safe we got to keep him protected so if that means that I have to die so be it that's that was where these people were that's how much they love the Lord and how much they love Paul <clears throat> Who have for my life laid down their own necks. Under whom not only I give thanks. But also all the churches of the Gentiles. All the churches. The churches. These people are famous in the work of the Lord. They're famous in all the churches. Well known by Paul. Willing to lay down their lives. What awesome, awesome people. were in the church. And I'm thinking you know. That your name could be also recorded. And you've got, a, you've got a story. Every one of you have a story behind your name. And hopefully there are women like Phoebe. And hopefully there are women like Priscilla. And hopefully there are men like Aquila in this house. That have a love for the gospel to that level. <laughs> Hallelujah. And for the work of God. Watch this. Verse... Uh, Five. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So evidently in Rome, these two had a church house. Now, they're not called pastors, but evidently they did the work of a pastor. And they had a church in their house in Rome. All right? Hallelujah. And that's where we started this church. Say, God, I, we started it. God started it. He, he was behind it, hopefully. I pray that he is. Look like we got a little fruit here that shows that he was in it. But that's where we started this church almost 12 years ago was in our house. Only a couple of people in our house. And we had church, had a pulpit and everything right there in our house. And we had church. That's where all this started right here. Everything that all these people you see here and uh, this, everything that's going on here. It started there. So Paul says, he talks about it, the church that is in their house. And then he says, salute my well-beloved Epinetus, Epinetus, yeah, Epinetus. I did good yesterday when I was reading it myself. 
Epinatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Epinatus, say Epinatus, the first fruits uh, of Achaia unto Christ, Asia Minor. So evidently this man here, Epinatus, was won by the, it, the way it looks and sounds, he was won by the Apostle Paul, but he was in Asia Minor, but now he's in Rome. Okay? And Paul says that he was one of the first ones to believe the gospel, to believe the truth. When Paul went over there into Asia Minor, somehow those two got together. It seems to me that, that Paul was the father of this man. And they got together. I don't know all the history because it doesn't tell me. But this man was the first one to come to the knowledge of the truth in Asia Minor. Now he's in Rome. Paul said, now you be sure and tell my good friend Epinatus there, uh, greetings in the Lord. Are you with me here? And this beautiful, beautiful. <clears throat> Are y'all with me on the word of God here? Salute my well-beloved Epinatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia under Christ. And then he says, greet Mary. So now we got another woman here. Doesn't tell us much about Mary, but it says she bestowed much labor on us. Labor, hard workers. She was a hard worker in the kingdom. Hard worker in the church. Bestowed much labor on the apostle Paul. The word labor there means that to work to the point of utter total exhaustion. Hallelujah. We got people like that in this church. They are laborers in the kingdom. They work to the point of total exhaustion to serve the Lord. Hallelujah. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, it doesn't tell us a lot about Mary, but she, other than that, she was a hard worker. Wouldn't it be wonderful you get to heaven that, that your name, the story behind your name, was that you worked to the point of total exhaustion for the kingdom of God. See, this, these names are going to encourage you or they're going to convict you. <clears throat> I'm just telling you the truth. They're going to encourage you or they're going to convict you. I, I came up here. I had to do, do something up here yesterday. I came up here. I got people up here. They're, they're doing Sunday school work. And I got people up here cleaning the church and all kinds of things. And they're working to the point of total exhaustion, man. You know? Hallelujah. Thank God for women who are willing to clean the church for men who are help, help around here work. You know, come on, somebody. And some of you preachers, you need to put your name on that list uh, to clean the yard, to clean the mow. You need to do that. Don't let just these men in the pew do that. You need to do that. See, are you with me here today? But this woman, whatever she did, she worked to the point of total exhaustion for the kingdom of God. Not holding anything back. That's the word here, labor. <clears throat> Give the Lord some praise. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's our church here. Our church is a hard-working church. Our Sunday school teachers, our bus drivers, our bus people, our, whatever you do in the kingdom, we got some hard-working people in this house. And that's, that was what Paul said about Mary. He said, greet Mary. Isn't that neat? Wouldn't it be neat if you got a letter from this great apostle and your name was there and, and, and they read it and, and they said, Paul said, hello, Mary. Say, you hard-working woman of God. He said, hello, how you doing, Mary? How you doing? How you doing, Priscilla, Aquila? How you doing, Epinatus? You know, how you doing? All right. Praise God. And then Mary, you hard worker. Paul said, hello to you too. And then he said, salute Andronicus and Junia. Junia. Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen. Oh, isn't this interesting? There's some people in the church in Rome that Paul says is his kinsman. 
Now, they could be kinsmen in the spirit. They could be kinsmen in a prison excursion that Paul was in. You understand? There's a lot of ways you could be a kinsman. You could be a, it is believed that they were in prison with the apostle Paul at some point. So they were kinsmen in prison. Kinsmen in the spirit. Kinsmen in some endeavor in the work of the Lord. But it also could be kinsmen according to the flesh. Who were in the Lord before the apostle Paul. Which means if this is his brother and our, our family members, male and female family members, it says they were in the church before he was. Which means if we take this literally, they were family members who came into the kingdom before Paul came into the kingdom. And if that's the case, it could be that they influenced this great man of God's conversion. <clears throat> That he came in the church because he had family members that were already in the kingdom of God. Before he ever got in the kingdom of God, they beat him in the kingdom. <clears throat> Andronicus and Junia here, he says, Junia, <clears throat> my kinsmen. <clears throat> and he says, my fellow prisoners. So I don't think I'm stretching it too far to say that they at some point were in a prison cell with Paul. If he says they are fellow prisoners. Yeah, they paid the price, didn't they? They sure did. They paid the price. Fellow prisoners who are note among the apostles. So they were in Christ before he was. They were kinsmen. They were fellow prisoners. And then he says about them, he says that they were of note among the apostles. <clears throat> now listen, that's interesting also. Because is Paul saying they are apostles? Or is Paul saying that Andronicus and Junia here are just known, noted by the apostles? If he is saying they are noted among the apostles, that they are among the apostles, we have something again interesting. Because Andronicus is a male name and Junia is a female name. So now, now we have Bible possibly for an, a woman apostle. So can a woman be in a five-fold ministry? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher? Okay. We got a possibility right here. Biblical possibility of Junia being an apostle in the kingdom of God. And I can't tell you how much this has been debated with me. They talk, and I just let them believe what they want to believe. And I talk about other ministers. Let them believe what they want to believe on this subject, okay? Because I can't prove even by this text that I've got a woman apostle here. And I can't prove by this text that I've got a woman deacon here. But I'm just saying the possibility out there for you. <clears throat> and this is debated in the church whether or not a woman can hold the office of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, office. Or uh, the office of a deacon. Are you with me here? All right. So I just, I just leave that in the hands of that fellow, fellow minister to determine what he wants to do on that. But, hello. <laughs> you know what my answer to that is this? I don't believe in men. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, nor do I believe in women. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I don't believe in either one of them. <clears throat> then what do you believe, pastor? Well, I believe in anointed. I am believing anointed men and women. Okay? I will say this, that primarily the, the, the headship, the ruling gifts, the headship offices, 
and then the service office primarily is designated to the men. But I'm just giving you the possibility here. Okay? Hallelujah. So, hallelujah. The Bible says, Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners, who are note among the apostles, who also were in Christ Jesus, or Christ before me. Giving you something to think about anyway, aren't I? Junia is a woman. Family members. Prisoners. Note among the apostles in Christ before him. The next one, the Bible says, verse 8, Greet Amplius, Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Say Amplius, Amplius, Amplius. Hallelujah. Say with me, Amplius. Let me make sure on something here. Amplius. My beloved in the Lord. Yeah, that's right. His name was found among the Roman catacombs. And you know, in Rome, because there was great persecution at times in history upon the church, the church had to go underground. And they held service underground in these places called the catacombs. And when these Christians died in those catacombs, where, where would they bury them? They, they'd take them and they put them in the walls. So you could, go, you could go in those catacombs, and you go there today, and you could see the catacombs of Rome and, and these Christians that were placed in those walls. All right? And this man here is named Apollos. Amplius, thank you. His name was found in the Roman catacombs. And his name was found decorated, highly decorated. And it's believed that he was a slave. But because his tomb was highly decorated in the catacombs, it is believed even though he was a slave, he held a high rank in the church. So you've got royal blood here in the church. You've got slaves in the church. But when you come into the kingdom, it doesn't matter what you are socially. It's based on the call of God. You've got women doing the work of the Lord. You've got men doing the work of the Lord. You've got possible women deacons. You've got possible women apostle. Woo! Isn't God good? <clears throat> and then he goes on and he talks about some others. He says... Uh, likewise, greet the church that is their house. Salute my well-beloved Epinetus, who is the first. I got that. I got that already, didn't I? Yeah. Okay, greet verse 8. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachius, my beloved. Say Urbane. He was a helper in Christ. Stachius, my beloved. Let me see if I need to share anything with you on that. Yeah. All right, don't have nothing to tell you about them. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, if you mention, man, just put my name in there. Don't, you don't, don't need no history. Just put my name in there. Salute Apelles approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about, well, I don't know much about Apelles here, but I can tell you a little bit about Aristobulus, his household. Aristobulus was the grandson of Herod the Great. The grandson of Herod the Great. 
And it says, Paul says, salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. It doesn't tell you that he as the grandson was in the kingdom, but his household was in the kingdom. And he was a grandson to Herod the Great. See how the gospel is in, in, in moving in and merging into society and influencing even Herod's household. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Salute Herodian, Herodian, my kinsman. And so that name, Herodian, would also link him to the, to the family of Herod. In the church. <clears throat> Let me just tell you, the 13 uh, of the over 20 names that are listed here, 13 of these names are linked to the royal household of Caesar. Either by document or some other source. 13 of them are linked to the royal household. Say praise the Lord. Salute Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet them that be of the household of Narciss. Narcissus, narcissus, which is in which are in the Lord. Say narcissus. I, I guess that's how you'd say that guy's name. Praise God. It is believed that this man Narcissus was a secretary to Claudius, the emperor of Rome. Did you hear what I just said? The secretary of Claudius, the emperor of Rome. It is believed that this man was that man. The very secretary of the Roman Caesar or emperor. And then he talks about a couple other women. He talks about Tryphena and Tryphosa. How would you like to have a name Tryphena or Tryphosa? Hallelujah. I don't hear many babies named Tryphena or Tryphosa. Their English, what their names mean in the English is dainty and delicate. I don't know if they were sisters or not, but, you know, they're linked together by Paul, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Dainty and delicate women. But watch what it says about them. Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Dainty and delicate is what their names mean. But again, the word labor means to the point of total exhaustion. So dainty and delicate are laborers in the church to the point of total exhaustion. So they lived above their name. You can live above your name. Don't limit yourself. You can live above your name. When they were named, they looked at them and said, Well, that's a dainty little girl. A dainty, and then that's a delicate little girl. And they grew up to be the heart, one of the hardest working couple in the whole church. Evidently, two sisters in a church together, dainty and delicate, hard, hard workers in the kingdom of God. Thank God for people who live above their name. And we're praying for those who live below their name. There's a lot of people in the church, they live below their potential. But these people lived above their physical potential. Labored to the point of utter exhaustion in the kingdom of God. Tryphena and Tryphosa. I love that. Mm -hmm. 
And then he says, salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. We got a man here who's also a labor. Praise God for men who labor in the Lord. His name is linked to the, to the word Persia. Persis, which labored much in the Lord. And then he talks about verse 13, salute Rufus. How would you like to have the name Rufus? You know, some of y'all are looking for something to name your girls. You can name her Tryphena or Tryphosa. Or you can maybe name your boy Rufus. Hallelujah. These are good names. What's your baby's name, Tryphena? What? <laughs> Dany. Or Tryphosa. Delicate. What's wrong with you? You don't know? And you can name your, your, other, your other boy. It's born to you, Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. And what is interesting, when you study the book of Acts, you'll find that Simon of Cyrene, his son, one of his sons' name was Rufus. So you remember that man in Mark chapter 15, I believe it is, that carried the cross of Jesus? Evidently, he came into the kingdom of God. That man came into the kingdom of God, and his children are living for God. And Rufus was the name of one of his sons, and he is here in Rome as a Christian. And so not only did Simon of Cyrene come to the Lord, but his wife came to the Lord. His children came to the Lord. And Paul says, talks about Rufus' mother. He calls her his mother. Now we know that Paul's actual mother was not this woman. But evidently she had done something for Paul. She had nurtured him. She had helped him as a mother would help a son. And so he says that not only was Rufus in the kingdom, but his mother was in the kingdom, and that that was his mother also. So it shows you a little bit of the history of, of somebody who carried the cross of Jesus Christ, helped carry the cross of Jesus Christ, and where the family was. They came into the kingdom of God. Praise God. When the family comes into the church. Awesome. His mother and mine, Paul says. That's beautiful, isn't it? If you lose an earthly mother over the gospel, God's got a spiritual mama waiting for you somewhere. And there are people who've lost, lost family over coming to the kingdom of God. Their family doesn't want them anything to do with them. Mother, father, nothing to do with them. But I guarantee you come into the church, God's got a mother for you, a spiritual mother and a spiritual father for you. So don't sweat it. I know it's painful. But Paul said, I got a mom, a mom in God. And then he talks about verse 14, salute Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with him. And I don't know a lot about these men either, but hallelujah, they're in the Bible. Verse 15, salute Philologos, Philologos, hallelujah, and Julia and Nereus. And his sister and Olympus and all the saints which are with him. Let me just pull one of these out and share with you Nereus. Nereus. This name is linked to very distinguished, two very distinguished individuals. Flavius Clemens and Domitilia. Flavius Clemens and Domitilia. Domitilia was related. It is believed she was the niece of Domitian. That very cruel emperor who persecuted the church. 
Domitilia, the niece of Domitia, and Flavius Clemens came into the kingdom of God. Flavius Clemens was executed. Domitilia was banished to Pontia. They were both Christians. Flavius, Flavius executed. Domitilia banished. Both of them were Christians. And their slave's name was N-E-R-E-U-S, Nereus. Their slave. That was their name slave. And history talks about those two very distinguished people. Flavius Clemens and his wife, Domitilia. Flavius, Flavius executed Domitilia, banished to Pontia, and their slave's name was Nereus. You see, famous people in the church. Royalty in the church. Y'all with me here today? Give God some praise. <clears throat> Now, Flavius Clemens, Flavius Clemens was a, again, he was also a consul of Rome. He came to, yeah. It kind of reminds me, have y'all, any of y'all ever seen that movie called The Robe? If you've never seen that, that movie called The Robe, you need to get that movie. It's, it's an old movie. It's really good, okay? Talked about a Roman soldier of rank who eventually received the robe of Christ, the robe when Jesus was crucified on the cross, the robe, it shows him, depicting him receiving the robe. Well, he and a very, he was high-ranking, and she was very high-ranking. Her, uh, his uh, woman friend went to martyrdom by error, arrows. They took him in front of the archers, and they killed him martyred them and they walk out of that having stood before the emperor i believe it was the emperor in that show they walk out go to their death to stand before the archers in the field this very high-ranking soldier and very high-ranking rank woman i'm not telling you that's who this is i'm just telling you that it, this scenario is very similar this roman consul of flavius clemens and married to domitilia the niece of domitian the roman emperor he is executed. She is banished. Their slave's name is listed in the Word of God. Interesting, isn't it? Just hallelujah, hallelujah. That doesn't do anything for you, but it does for me. Yeah. Praise the Lord, somebody. <clears throat> Let me just put this in here. There's nothing in life that will satisfy you. Except Jesus Christ. There's no position, there's no rank, there's no, there's no level of wealth. There's nothing in this world that will ever satisfy your soul. That's why you've got people of rank, royalty, wealth, position, power. And then you've got slaves mentioned who were ranking the kingdom of God. You've got a, a vast array of backgrounds. Every name has a story. Every one of them coming into the kingdom, recognizing that there's nothing in this life that will satisfy the soul except Jesus Christ. Tell me. And you look at people today in their fields of labor, some of them doctors, some of them lawyers, some of them famous writers, poets, whatever, and then just the common everyday person. And you look at those people. You think, man, they don't, they don't need God. 
those, those ones that have the positions and all of that, you know. They don't need God. Can I tell you? They need God more than anybody. They need God as much as the next man. Because none of that will satisfy you. And isn't it amazing that the church, we as a church sometimes are focused on things that don't satisfy us. That's what we live for. That's what our focus is. That's what we labor for. That's what we give ourselves to. And we see in this very gospel, this writing to the Romans, where even people of position and power and royalty gave themselves to the kingdom of God, even were executed and banished for the sake of Christ. Let me tell you, don't, 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 don't think anybody that is without Christ is a happy person. Don't think anybody that is without Christ, I don't care what they are, how much money they got, is happy without Christ. They are miserable because those things don't satisfy. That's why you got people coming into the kingdom of God, recognize their need for eternal life. And it only comes through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know what I'm talking about. It's just in the Bible. Now, can I tell you, there are, most pastors won't even preach this. They get to the end of chapter 15, they're through with the book. They don't even teach it. They don't think it's worth their time. It's worth mine. Might not be worth yours, but it's worth mine. It's worth yours. St. Nereus, the slave of two very, very prominent, distinguished a man and a woman in history married. Isn't that interesting? And so we go on. And he closes this out. Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Hallelujah. Isn't that beautiful? I love it. I just love it. I love the word of God. There's nothing like it. It's just... So Paul picked out these, you know, specific, particular people, all kinds of backgrounds, slaves, etc., royalty, and he put them and he said, you greet them. They're in the church in Rome, man. It affected, it went all the way to the highest level of society. Went right into the kingdom, the empire of Rome. Paul, you know, when he went to Rome, he was chained to those, those uh, guards and he won them. History says they chained a Roman soldier to him. He'd win that one. And he, the Philippians, he talks about the Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard, that was the, the, the guard, the emperor's personal bodyguard. And the emperor's personal bodyguard was chained to the apostle Paul. And Paul won the emperor's bodyguard. They'd walk in, they'd, ch they'd chain that bodyguard to the Apostle Paul. He'd witness to him, convert him. They'd get the Holy Ghost. He'd baptize him in Jesus' name. History literally says that when the waters, when it rained heavily in Rome, that the waters filled the area that he was located, and he'd baptize people in Jesus' name right there in that, in that dungeon area. That's awesome, isn't it? You want to have that kind of power, that kind of walk with God, that kind of influence, that, that the president's bodyguard... The President of the United States of America, President George W. Bush, I think that's his name. At least it's George Bush, I know that. Does he have a W in the middle of his name? Okay. That you, got, you became a prisoner of the state, United States of America. They threw you in prison and President Bush's personal bodyguard, they chained his personal bodyguard to you and you won every one of them to Christ. Baptized him in Jesus' name. They got the Holy Ghost. Went up there and told President Bush about what happened to him. 
President Bush said, well, go put another bodyguard on him. We can't have two brothers sitting together in that dungeon. And yeah, that brother might let the other brother go. So, <clears throat> and, and so they just, every time, he just, he just went him to Christ. They get the Holy Ghost. He baptized in Jesus' name. The Praetorian bodyguard, the emperor's bodyguard. And Paul sitting in that prison when he did finally get to Rome, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know where he said that? In a Roman prison. Not on vacation somewhere in a Roman prison house. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say to you, rejoice. Hey, you'd be happy too if every time they chained the bodyguard to you, you went into Christ and went all the way up into the Roman emperor's palace. Powerful. I want that kind of walk with God. That my witness, my testimony, man, it chained him to me and went him to God. Read Philippians sometimes. It's a good book. It really is. Verse 16, salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. The churches of Christ kiss you with a holy kiss. You brothers and sisters in the Lord, I love this, man. I love this. This is just awesome to me. You know why it's awesome to me as a pastor? Because I think about you. I think about the women in this church. I think about the men in this church who are faithful to the kingdom of God. Some of you labor to the point of exhaustion and you're just, you give yourself, even if you had to lay down your life for Christ, you would. And I know you would. Every one of you got a story behind your name. Isn't that awesome? And hopefully your story is not that you work, just work at so and so place. That you make such and such money. And that you have a certain house and a certain car. Hopefully that's not all that's all on your record. Hopefully what's on your record links you to the service and work of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? I'm thankful today. We got all kinds of people here in this church. All kinds of background. I got doctors. Dr. Heath. I got mathematicians. Dr. Timothy and his wife. They're, all, they're, they're both doctors. Hallelujah. And, you know, on on and on I got to go through. I got people who are managers there are people who are managers in this house, and I got people labor. It doesn't really matter your, your social realm or your, what you do for a living. It doesn't matter. What are you doing for the kingdom of God? <laughs> Praise God. And my call is not just to win the up and the outers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? My call is not just to focus on those who have positions and wealth and power and all of that. that my focus is just like Paul's. When whoever, whatever status, whatever strategy, whatever station in life, whatever position, whether you be male or female or whatever, doesn't make any difference. You can come in the kingdom of God and you can make a difference. But are you making a difference for the kingdom? Woo! Give God some praise. So he just, Paul says, you salute one another with a holy kiss. The church of Christ salutes you. They don't, can you all just see them just, oh, they're just kissing each other? They weren't kissing on the lips, by the way. I mean, maybe if you were a man and wife, you were. But if you weren't, you're just brothers and sisters. Lord, you weren't kissing on the lips. You just, you know, the brethren. Brethren would, would embrace each other and give each other a holy kiss. Say a holy kiss. Holy kiss. Holy kiss. Holy kiss. It's, it's, it's just a kiss of respect and, and uh, in, endearment. Uh, love that, that the church had for each other. Paul's showing you the love that these brothers and sisters had for each other. Didn't matter what their background 
person of royalty, Prisca, could marry a talit maker, talit, Jewish talit maker, Akila, Phoebe, come on, a woman, whatever, the slaves, whatever, it didn't matter. They were in a common bond. They were in the kingdom of God. And he said, you salute each other, you greet each other with a holy kiss. There'll be unity and love among the brothers and, and sisters in the church. Are you with me here? Beautiful. Hallelujah. <clears throat> now, in our culture, you got to be real careful. And I'm, I'm coming. I'm landing so you don't have to worry. But in our culture, you got to be careful. You know what I'm saying? You know, you got a brother in the Lord. Y'all are out there in the public. You just switch over and give each other a hug. You know, well, our culture is going to look down on that. We know what it's about. But the culture, I tell you, you can't even, you can't even go in the store uh, with somebody the same gender without being suspect. You know, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Tell you the truth. Me, you know, me and Brother Emma, uh, we were out there, we were at this public place, and, and uh, we just gave each other a good old hug in the Lord, you know, and I thought to myself, yeah, people saw that. They probably thought, you know, you know, because that's, that's the, our society's messed up, man. It's so messed up. But in the church, we know what's going on. So you got you to gotta be kind of careful out there what you do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Two sisters hugging out in public. You know, it might be good if you just kind of just maybe shake each other's hands. They love you. God bless you. Praying for you, you know. Because the way the world looks at it, they, they think you're funny. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? They would think what Paul said was, see, they mess up everything. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if some, some liberal church system would take this scripture and use it to condone uh, homosexuality and lesbianism. But that's the way the world is. That's the way the world is. That's the way even the church world as a whole. They just love to confuse things. So let's don't read into here things that Paul's not saying. But we do understand it was a, a, a deal like shaking a hand, respecting, love you, greeting, you know, and uh, respect. And I believe that's what we need in the church, don't you? Verse 17, Now beseech you, brethren, mark them. <clears throat> now he talks about the brothers and sisters of the Lord saluting each other, respecting each other, embracing each other. Then he talks about salute one another, uh, or now I beseech you brethren. I beg you brethren. Again, he calls them brethren. Fellow laborers in the kingdom of God. He's not better than they are. He, he, he addresses them as brethren, okay? But he says, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. That's heavy. And uh, you know today for, for the church to, to embrace this verse here. And believe it and teach it and, and obey it. We would be seen as unloving or titled unloving people. But listen to what I'm going to tell you here. Any love that doesn't have the truth of the word of God in it. It's not the love of God. Let me repeat myself. Any love that doesn't have the truth of God's word in it is not the love of God. So people, false teachers, false preachers, false people in a church, okay? Uh, they will lay aside the word of the Lord. They'll lay aside truth. They'll lay aside doctrine and they call it love. You understand what I'm saying? 
Uh, let's just forget our doctrines. Let's just all come together and love each other. Any love that doesn't have the truth of God's word in it is not the love of God. Don't ever forget that. Okay? There are people who have literally compromised the word of the Lord. They don't preach the word of God. Okay? They're preaching a false love. So Paul is telling us how, Now beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses. What? Contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Avoid them. Now, this doesn't mean that what he, he's not applying this to people who may have a difference along personal convictions. All right? No, we're not talking about that here, <laughs> you know. But what he's talking about is the doctrine, the Word of God, the, the absolutes, the fundamentals that must be believed and be taught. You got somebody that does not teach that or they, they teach contrary to that or they sow division in the church over those absolutes, then he says, what do you do with them? You avoid them. If you know that there is a so-called pastor that uh, he is not preaching the truth, you may look, you may say he's a brother or sister in the Lord, okay? He's baptized in his name and has the Holy Ghost, but is he preaching the truth? Well, what do you do with an individual like that? Baptized in his name, got the Holy Ghost, but he's not preaching the truth to his church. And he says that, you know, we're just trying to build a church on love, but we're not going to preach the Word of God. See what I'm saying? What we would call a liberal, a liberal uh, apostolic church. What do you do? The Bible tells you what you do. You avoid them. Just stay away from them. This is serious. Are you with me here? And that doctrine covers a lot of things. And not just baptizing Jesus. It's not just baptism in Jesus' name and the oneness of God and the Holy Ghost. It's what the Bible says as an absolute. The areas of holiness. Just avoid them. And I'll tell you what. They'll mess with your brain. They'll mess with your spirit. And if you're not careful, you'll start compromising. And you'll start thinking, that's not important. Let's just love each other. Well, I do believe in love. And I do believe that we need to love each other. But don't ever forget what your pastor's telling you right now. That the love of God is not void of the truth of God. Any love that is presented that is void of the truth of God's word is not the love of God. It is not the love of God. Okay? So let's read it again. Now, let's read it together. Now, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Heavy stuff. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. They don't serve the Lord. But their own bellies. They're in it. For their own sake. They're in it for their own name. They're in it for the wrong reason. They're in it for self. You understand? They're not serving the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. They have ability. They know how to, to lay the words out. They know, they know what they're doing. 
good words and fair speeches. Do you understand what I'm saying? Boy, we, especially in America, we are full of that. We are full of men who stand behind pulpits and preach psychology and not the Word of God. They preach philosophy and not the Word of God. They're afraid. They serve their own bellies. They're afraid they stand up and start preaching the truth, the Word of the Lord. They're going to lose their tithe payers. They're going to lose the people who give the money. They're going to lose people out of the church. They're going to lose. Do you understand what I'm trying to get across? What the Lord is trying to get across to you? Don't be surprised. There are so many people in the pulpit. They're not in it. They're not serving God to spread the gospel. They're not in it to, to preach the truth. They're laying it down. Laying the truth down for the sake of numbers. Laying the truth down, compromising with holiness to be able to run with the world. Mark them and avoid them. They don't serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Good words, a fair speech to deceive the hearts of the simple. Man, I tell you what, preacher, he knows how to talk. <laughs> he does. He knows how to talk. He knows... What to say, when to say it, and how to say it. You understand? You can get a crowd, but are you turning that crowd into the church? See, it's important. You have to get, you need to get the crowd, but you better turn the crowd into a church. You better not take a church and turn it into a crowd. Because if you take a church and you turn it into a crowd, you are in that verse right there. You've got to take the crowd and you've got to turn it into a church. And you've got to preach to them and remind them and teach them and, and show them the word of God so that they will not just be saved, but they'll be holy unto God. That's the whole purpose. The holiness for the obedience to the faith. Obedience to the faith. Not just numbers and not just a crowd. I'm telling you, it's not my responsibility just to get a crowd. It's to get a crowd and turn it into a church. Lord, have mercy on the man who takes a church and turns it into a crowd. Compromising the Word of God. Compromising truth. For the sake of numbers. All right, y'all with me here? They deceive the hearts of the simple. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. But you know what the awesome thing about it is? True, true people, the true church of God, they can discern. The true church, they're not dumb. They're not ignorant. They can discern. I can listen to a tape, and I know the rank of that man. Brother Edmonds gave me a tape. He, he listened to a tape on the way from, from where, I think it's Ohio. He listened, listened to a tape. He said, I want you to listen to this. I listened to it. I heard that man preach, and he's standing for holiness. He's standing for, he's preaching holiness still, you know. You'd be surprised how liberal the Pentecostal apostolic church has become in the area of holiness. Liberal. I could give you big name organizations who have become liberal or swaying towards assembly of God ways. Be careful. Brother Edmonds gave me this tape, and this man's still preaching that good old holiness message, and you know what I'm saying, and, and what we believe as a church, and he's a preaching, and I, was, I could feel the power and the rank in that man. 
And I gave the tape back to Brother Edmonds, and I, I was meditating on it. And I said, how can I respond to Brother Edmonds? What should I say about this man? And I told him, I said, you know what? There are very few men of this caliber around anymore. They are men pleasers. They are people pleasers. They're not standing up and preaching the word of God. They're getting sucked up into the ways of the world. They're trying to win people into Jesus Christ by using the methods of the world. But I heard that man preach. And I said, that is a man of rank. He has got some authority. He's got some power. He's got an anointing. He's got something behind. He's got weight when he preaches. You can tell. And uh, it's because he hasn't laid down those very important things. Thank God for that. And when I listened to that, I just, I was so, so encouraged. So encouraged that there are still men of that caliber in the U.S. in this hour when big name organizations are laying down holiness and, and these things that I'm talking about just for the sake of getting together. So I'm just helping you today because you're going to come in contact with, with pastors and preachers and, and some of them apostolic and, and some of them organizationals and whatever. Uh, don't be misled that a lot of them are in those situations um, not because of the word of the Lord and the gospel. They're in it for themselves. And they're not preaching what God is saying they're preaching what organization tells them to preach. Do you hear what I tell you right now? And I, as your pastor, I love you. I'm just telling you the way it is. I'm talking about Jesus' name, one God, Holy Ghost men. <clears throat> They'll stand in front of you. You got a call in your life to go to a certain place. And they will command you to go to a place that God didn't send you. They're like a Sanhedrin. You hear what I'm telling you? They're like a Sanhedrin. I'm talking about Jesus' name. Holy Ghost people. I said, Brother Edmonds, I said, what happened? I, do they still have the Holy Ghost? He said, Brother Carter, he said, they had the Holy Ghost at one time. He said, but you, you can, he told me this. We were eating lunch. He said, you can have the Holy Ghost, but not yield to the Holy Ghost. He said, you know that. He said, in our churches, we got men and women who are filled with the Holy Ghost. Who don't do what the Holy Ghost says. They don't yield to the Spirit of God. And he said, the certain men, these different organizations, they're in it for the wrong reason. They're, at one time, they were sincere, but something got a hold of them. I'm not saying all of them. Something got a hold of some of them. And they overrode the Holy Ghost. And now it's about organization. It's about, it's about themselves and I'm telling you, it's not in just mainline, denominal world. I'm telling you, it's in the apostolic, in the Jesus' name churches. The, the, the church as you know it, mark it. Mark what I tell you. The church as you know it, I'm talking about oneness, apostolic, Jesus' name people. The church as you know it is changing. It is becoming liberal and it is becoming a compromising worldly institution. I am not talking about mainline denominal systems. I'm talking about groups that baptize in Jesus' name, have the Holy Ghost, and believe in the oneness of God. 
And I'm not trying. Listen, listen. My motive is right. It's to protect you. And I pray to God that the generation of men that come out of this pulpit, whether you go to the mission field or you go past your church, that you are not a liberal apostolic. You must declare the word of God. You must preach holiness. You must preach obedience to the faith. And you must preach the fundamental doctrine. Doctrines. You must. Because right now, the church as you know it is changing. I'm telling you. For they are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by goods, words, and fair speech to deceive the hearts of the simple. I feel led to share this with you. You know what the highest office in the kingdom of God in the land is? It's not an organization. It's the pastor. Once that man set apart by God into a set place in a pulpit as a pastor, that's the highest level you can go. There is no board that it should, should rule over him. That is the highest level you can go in the kingdom. Are you with me here? And, and, and I've, I've talked, about, talked about these things with this apostle so that I, I know that I'm on the, the right page biblically. And uh, it, that's the way he sees this. And he agrees with what I'm telling you. You understand? Very awesome, very awesome things. But don't get caught up. We're living in a generation of compromisers. Who, the Bible says, serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. You know, you'd be surprised how many, how many people would take advantage of you if, you, if they had the opportunity. Take advantage of you. That's right. You know, thank God. I love you. Verse 19, for your obedience is come abroad unto all. What did? Their obedience. Obedience. That's important. Obedience is better than sacrifice. <clears throat> One pastor who, who is Jesus' name, one God apostolic, uh, he said that through much prayer, God told him he don't have to preach holiness anymore. And he was, he's a man of prayer. He don't have, but he said God told him don't have to preach holiness anymore. Okay. Well, what would, how would you answer that if, if you... Uh, as a child of God, had a pastor who, who stood up and told you, God told me, I don't have to preach holiness to you anymore. You do what you want to do. How would you respond to that? What would be the answer to that statement? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Doesn't matter if you spent 20 hours in prayer. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Do you hear what I'm saying? He said, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And God said, I don't have to teach holiness anymore. Obedience is better than the sacrifice of your prayer time. God did not, does not sacrifice obedience just because you give. Just because you pray. Just because you go to church. Obedience is better than sacrifice. 
But I fasted 30 days and God told me I don't have to do that anymore. Obedience is better than fasting. Fair speech. Good words and fair speech deceive the hearts of the simple. There are people who have left the apostolic church, Jesus' name, one God, Holy Ghost Church, who have written books. And these books have been written and spread through, okay, the brethren. And these books have succeeded in overthrowing the faith of the simple. Overthrowing the faith of one God. The message of one God. Overthrowing the faith of some in the areas of holiness. They were once a part of this church. Okay? But now they're preaching against it. And if you're not firmly grounded in the word, you will be deceived in this hour by good words and fair speeches. They'll deceive the hearts of the simple. If it's in this book, you better preach it. You better preach it. Because God tells you what to do with people who don't. He said you avoid them. He said you mark them who cause divisions. Contrary to the doctrine that you've learned. We're not talking again against about personal things. We're talking about doctrine. We're talking about the word of God. We're talking about the, what the word says. So always remember what I'm telling you. You need this. Obedience is better than sacrifice. It sure is. And this is the hour that this verse is really, really important. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad thereof on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. You know, I think it's important for us to study the word of the Lord. I think it's important for us to read the word of God. And, and not always study witchcraft and what witchcraft means and what witchcraft is about. And do you understand? I don't focus on that a lot. I will share with you certain things that is needful for you to understand what's going on out there. But my focus is not on, you know, the levels of witchcraft and the evil that's in that and all. See. And there are people who get these books and, on witchcraft and Rebecca Brown's book and all these people, you know, that were formerly a part of witchcraft and they study Rebecca Brown's book. And I'm going to tell you something. I have seen good brothers fall by reading that book. There was a brother who was in witchcraft. He got a hold of that book, sucked him right back into it. So you better be careful about getting into studying and trying to learn about evil you need to get in the word of the lord you need to find out what the bible says you that's what your focus needs to be you understand very dangerous for you to get off in that stuff especially if you're a new convert okay the bible tells us so anyway be wise with under that which is good and simple concerning evil Hallelujah. I just love our church. And I promise you I'm almost done here. But I love the simplicity and the innocence that is in our people. The, the simplicity and the innocence that's in our children. Do you understand? They have it. Now, and I'm not putting, putting down anybody who sends their kids to public school. But I'm going to tell you, you're going to have a fight on your hands. 
because they're surrounded by those spirits. Now, I got a brother who teaches in the public school. I'm not putting that down. I'm just telling you that you're going to have a fight because you know what? You're going to see in them more rebellion. The influence of society is going to be stronger coming against them, what they believe. You with me? I mean, I have, we have a struggle with our children, and they're homeschooled. Trying to keep them innocent concerning evil. I don't, my little boy, I don't want him to always be challenging, always wanting to fight somebody because they watch the mighty Morpho Power Rangers and they get this spirit, this competitive spirit, and you can see it in a man. They, 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 even with people in the church, they'll, they'll fight that, 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 that uh, little boy, that little girl, getting a fight with him. You can see on their face, grit their teeth, you know. <clears throat> Spider-Man, you know, and Mighty Morpho and whatever they are. See, our children, if we're not careful, will become very, very intelligent about things that are evil. They can tell you everything about Spider-Man, everything about... Mighty Morpho, if there's even somebody by that name, I don't know. <laughs> Do you understand? See, you need to keep your children innocent concerning evil. I've seen them. I've seen them. And I love all of our kids, but I can tell you, I, I, there are certain, I told my wife, I said, that little boy's got a spirit already. I'm not saying he's got a demon. I'm saying there's a spirit working on him. I can, I can tell. He's been watching stuff he shouldn't be watching. He's been watching cartoons with violence in it and witchcraft and sorcery and all that in it. You can tell that spirit's dominating his mind. He's got better control on him. See, you need to keep your kids innocent, man. It's not a lack of maturity. It's called innocence concerning evil. If they're asked at school or otherwise, hey, what do you think about such and such movie? What are you talking about? I don't know nothing about that. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about that new Nintendo game? Well, I'm not preaching against, you know, <laughs> movies per se or Nintendo per se, but I'm talking about the violence that's there, et cetera, et cetera. You know, well, what do you know about that new violent, you know, Nintendo game, man? They cut each other's head off, blood flowing everywhere, flying everywhere, you know? Our children should not know anything about that. They shouldn't know about that new video game that's got that evil and that violence in. They should not know that. They shouldn't be exposed to that. But where are they getting it? Daddy and mama's letting them. Daddy and mama's letting the Nintendo game become the babysitter or the TV become the babysitter. And that TV is, is raising those kids. That Nintendo game is raising those kids. And then mom and dad wondering why these kids are rebellious and why they're fighting them and why they're all that. What are they feeding on? Are they authorities on the evil in society? If they are, I can tell you why you got the problem you got with your kids. But that's our whole goal is that as a church. We're not, you know, we're going to tell them the word of God. We're going to put the word of God in them. We're going to try to keep them innocent concerning evil. Give them, let them be wise in the things of God. You understand? Do you let your kids watch all that stuff? Do you let your kids play all that stuff? Lord, have mercy on you. 
you know, and you might think it's cute and fun right now, but you wait till they grow up. <laughs> you wait till they grow up. You got a challenge on your hand as it is if you keep them innocent. So let me just share it with this. I'm doing my best to try to keep mine innocent. Please don't let yours contaminate them. Because <clears throat> I, I got enough. I mean, I got a handful as it is, if you understand what I mean. Well, I know it's good. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. <clears throat> I guarantee you. you. You could look at the junior high school. You could, not just junior high. Elementary. The insanity that's in the elementary. The insanity that's in junior high. And the insanity that's in the high school. Do you teach high school, brother? It, it's crazy, isn't it, brother? You know? And it, it, it's, these, these, these kids, they know more about... <laughs> The evil side of life and promiscuity and everything else than, than most of us knew by the time we were 50. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. They, they, they know evil, man. Yeah. So Paul is telling us here, For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad thereof on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good. And simple concerning evil. Hallelujah. I want my kids running around quoting the Bible. <laughs> quoting the book of Romans. Baptizing each other in, you know, in Jesus' name. And putting a pulpit up and preaching in the name of Jesus, you know. And, and, and praying and <clears throat> that kind of singing about the Lord, etc. Do you understand? And there's innocence about them. Get some of our kids around, some other kids, those other kids, man. Our kids are like little babies in their thinking in comparison to some of those other older kids because they've been raised in an environment of innocence. Thank God for that. I said, thank God for that. You need to, you need to be careful about what you let them watch, what you let them play. And I would just, I would tell you this. You don't want them on the internet without supervision. You better not let them have their own little personal computer in their own little personal room. You better take that computer out of there and you better put it in a family room where it can be supervised. Because they can bring up all kinds of perversion in your house without your supervision. Very, very important what I'm sharing with you right now. Okay, y'all love the Lord. Is this helping anybody? Verse 20, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Yeah, woo! Come on. I'll let the Holy Ghost talk to me. You better take a stand. Your little, your little children go to grandma's house and she's not in the kingdom. Go to grandma's house and grandma let them watch whatever they want to. Let them get on that computer and do whatever they want to do. You better watch that. You better tell grandma in a nice way. We don't do that here. We don't let our kids watch that. In a nice way. Respectful. But you, you, you got to take a stand. Because grandma, grandma pierced their ears. 
You let grandma get a hold of them, they're they going to come back pierced ears, pierced nose, pierced belly button at age five. I'm, some of y'all going, you don't believe me? Elementary kids going around a pierced belly button. You understand? Little kids, man. You let, the, you let your family members get hold of them. You've got to take a stand. You have responsibility as a parent. So the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. God's telling you he's going to use the church to crush the head of the serpent. See, we want Jesus. Come down here. Come down here, Lord, and crush the head of the serpent. And the Lord says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to work through you to crush the head of the serpent. Are you here? We're supposed to reprove the un unfruitful works of darkness. We're supposed to uncover them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. What do you, I can't get off this. What are your kids listening to on the radio? What kind of music you let them buy? What kind of music you letting them listen to? Come on. Serious. You're supposed to be used by God to crush the, the deeds of Satan. Crush the head of the serpent. And I know you, some of you say, this is old-fashioned, boy. That pastor, he'll, you know what, I'm 40, I'm 44 somewhere in there. I'm not old. <laughs> but I'm biblical. This is biblical. This is right. Say, this is right. So don't, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold and, and try to tell you what you should be doing and what you should be letting your kids do. You have the authority over those children. You raise them according to the word of the Lord. You don't let this evil society corrupt them. Mm -mm. Okay, verse 21. Timotheus, my work fellow, all Timothy. God, uh, Paul's son in the faith, in the ministry. Paul didn't win him to God, but he won. He marked him in ministry. Timothy was already in the kingdom of God, but Paul marked him in ministry. As a son in ministry. See, father-son relationships in the kingdom of God are not based on the fact that you've been won by that person. It's based on, have you been marked by that person in ministry? Okay? As far as a fellow worker or minister. And then he talks about Lucius and Jason and Sosipater. My kinsmen salute you. So evidently there's even some more kinsmen of Paul that were in the church in Rome. <clears throat> And then verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. He, Paul, preached it, and Tertius wrote it down. What do you call that person who does that? A scribe, but there's another word. Emmanuel, anyway, you don't know, so I don't either. But he's a scribe, right? We'll just leave it with that. And, you know, Paul didn't write this. Is that he, was, he couldn't see very good, evidently. I don't know. I'm not getting all that. But anyway, the point is, he, he didn't write it. He preached it. He taught it. And then this man, Tertius, wrote it down. Okay? <clears throat> and uh, I, I know I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but that, I'm, I'm West Texas. You see? <laughs> I, Tertius, who wrote this bill, Salute in the Lord, Paul, Paul often would, he would do an introduction. He would do an, an, out, an intro and an outro uh, on his writings. And 
he would, he would, that final closing, he would write. Everybody knew that was Paul. He talked about it in Galatians. He said, these large letters that I have written unto you. So evidently, Paul wrote these big sprawling letters, you know, as he closed. And they said, that's Paul. Authenticated it. That it came from the hands of Paul. But this man was the one who actually wrote it down. He's like a secretary. And then verse 23, Gaius, my host. Paul is over in Corinth. He's dictating this message. And Gaius is, where, is the man that he's staying with, his host. And of the whole church salutes you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, salutes you. And, and Quartus, a brother. Again, we got people of rank even in Corinth. Verse 24, he completes it with the gospel of God. Okay? The gospel of God. He talked about the beloved of God. Now he's back to the gospel of God. First 18 verses of chapter 1 give you the outline for the whole book. The gospel of God is the first one in chapter 1. Okay? The gospel of God. The beloved of God. The power of God. Etc. That first 18 verses in the outline to the whole book. I've given you some of them. Not all of them. I don't have time to give them all to you uh, today. Okay? Because we're trying to finish this book. But we close the book out with the gospel of God. The first of God listed in Romans 1. It's inverted. Okay? You start with the gospel of God, but you end with the gospel of God as far as the book is concerned, outline-wise. Does that make sense? Okay. Sure? You sure? You sure? Because it's, 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 the teaching is inverted. It's, a, it's an outline. Okay, I think you got it. Just read Romans 1, 1 through 18, and write down every of God you see. Of God. Gospel of God, beloved of God, power of God. Oh, on and on it goes. The wrath of God. And that's the outline for the whole book. So we come back now, after the, dealing with the beloved of God, we come back to the gospel of God, and we close with the gospel of God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. And now to him that is of power to establish you according to what? My gospel. He personalizes the gospel of God and he says, it's my gospel. You need to personalize it. You need to say, he's my God. That's my church. He's my God. It's my gospel. My truth. Personalize it. Don't say it's what pastor believes. My gospel. What our church believes. What I believe. And if you don't know what you believe, I'll help you. <laughs> to my gospel, Paul personalized it. And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. How that God was going to bring the Jews and the Gentiles into the same, in the same church, you know, the same body. His infinite wisdom and the way he would do that, you know. It's just, we've talked about that in Romans 9, 10, 11. <laughs> it was kept secret since the world began. But now is made manifest. And by the scriptures of the prophets, that's Old and New Testament prophets. You have Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophets. But now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God. Made known to all nations for the obedience of the faith. 
It's all about obedience of the faith. Not easy believism. Obedience of the faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. The gospel of God. He talks about how it invaded the world. How it came, how God, the gospel of God, how it came into the world. It's for all. It's for the obedience of the faith. He talks about before, and he talks about now, manifestation time. Before, when the prophets talk, preached about it, and now, manifestation time. Rhema time. Manifestation time. He shows you how there, when Jesus came, it even changed history. It changed the calendar. It changed time. Before Christ B.C., when Jesus comes, it's A.D. Amno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. A.D. B.C. A.D. When Jesus came, it completely changed even the calendar. So that it appears, the way Paul writes it in closing, he, it, 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 he makes it sound like that when Jesus came, the world at its beginning. The, even time changed. The world had a new beginning. That's how powerful this gospel was. It invaded time. It's like a wave coming over on the shore. The new age has come. The age the prophets prophesied about is here. It's manifestation time. It has hit the banks of the earth. And it's brought in a totally new world, a new dimension, a new life in Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes into your life, that's really when your life begins. You really, to be honest with you, you really don't have a past. You really don't have a past. When you got born again... You, you really began to live and exist at the time you got born again. That is how life-changing, how God burst into time, how he brought in the new age in Jesus Christ, a brand new time, a new world we live in. You understand? A new age should change you completely. And I pray that the book of Romans has blessed your life that you have a better understanding about righteousness, about the truth. You see what Paul, his ways, you see the people that were in the church. I pray you're encouraged by it. It's an awesome, awesome book. Let's stand. Father, we just thank you right now. And we ask God today, Lord, in your mighty name, Jesus, that everything that we have heard, everything that we have learned from the book of Romans, mighty God, that you would use it to encourage us, to strengthen us. Help us to serve you faithfully. We thank you for the gospel of God. The good news of God. That Jesus Christ has come. That Jesus Christ has brought righteousness for us. In his death, burial, and resurrection. And my standing and my righteousness is based on my faith in him. And God, that life that has been changed by the new birth now is to be lived out in obedience to the faith. 
We ask you right now, Father, that we would manifest your kingdom in this earth. We thank you for all these names that we have looked at today that has helped us understand how powerful the Messianic kingdom invaded the Roman Empire. We give you praise and worship for it. And we thank you for the epistle to the Romans from the Apostle Paul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We love you. You're dismissed. We will see you tonight. Hallelujah.